0: What's really going on in the heads and hearts of the humans around you? I'm Mads Grummet,
1: journalist, entrepreneur and startup investor. And I'm Sabina Reid, psychologist, speaker and media commentator. And this is Human Cogs, a podcast about the universal experiences that really matter and the candid conversations we need to have to share them.
0: If you like human cogs, we'd love you to hit subscribe and please leave us a
1: star rating. That way we can keep bringing you more stories from extraordinary ordinaries to help us all do human well. Today's guest is Fergus Watts, recently appointed CEO of the Reach Foundation, ex-AFL footballer and founder of Australasia's largest independent marketing agency, Bastion.
0: In this conversation with Fergus, we discover how a question asked by Jim Steins 21 years ago sparked a lifelong commitment to being true to who he was, living out his own values and now paying it forward by scaling preventative mental health programs to thousands of young people across Australia.
1: If you've ever asked yourself, who am I, without the roles and labels we all attach to ourselves, or if a young person in your life is asking these questions now, then this chat has some gems for you. Okay, Fergus, as an entrepreneur, an investor, a champion of um, youth mental health and now CEO of Reach Foundation, I said to Mads earlier, it feels like you really could be the love child that Mads and I never had (laughs) because it's this combination of mental health, entrepreneurship, business. We share a lot of the the same passion. So we're thrilled to have you here. We know that you first attended reach as a participant when you were 15 years old can you introduce us to 15 year old Fergus
2: yeah well thank you for having me for starters. Um welcome son 15 year old Fergus well I was I came from a beautiful family um, I was born in the UK and we all moved over and um you know, my parents had a business that had its ups and downs and at 15 was probably going more up than down. Went to a great school, had great friends, all that sort of stuff. Was desperate to be a professional footballer. That was my passion, was was footy. But like any 15-year-old, I was trying to figure out who I was, you know, and um, and that's why Reach in many ways changed my life or certainly opened up new ways of thinking about who i was as a 15 year old you know so it's so a 15 year old male you've got the masculinity you've got the bravado you've got all the rubbish that goes with that and and as a man trying to, a young man trying to figure out how to be a real man you know and and all the vulnerability and everything else that goes with that as well so i was i was someone just trying to figure that out and um walked into a reach workshop when i was 15 and sort of serendipitously jim steins called me up on my chair in front of 500 young people and he said who are you you know and that was kind of where it all started
0: what did you say
2: well i've fluffed the answer because like and we still to this day ask it's how we start our heroes days at reach is is asking who are you and you know i kind of answered like <laughs> in the same way that "Yeah, you know, i'm fergus or you know i don't know i'm this i'm that or you know whatever and uh, and he really pushed me on it and it, you know It got me thinking as I sat down, I thought, geez, I've never been asked that before. I'd never thought about it. I'd never really sort of impressed on that in in any way. And that was kind of the magic of the Reach experience for me was that the Hero's Day, at the end of the day or towards the end of the day, I found myself with a microphone in hand again talking about something that was much more vulnerable and emotive and, and sharing something much more real about me and Jim and Jules who were facilitating on the day said that is who you are you know and it's not just that bit it's the bravado filled joking you know hyper male at the start and it's the vulnerable emotional more open connected young man towards the end and everything that goes in the spectrum of being me and that was that was one of the the great experiences for me because I was and, and I really got some juice from that you know in that it is okay to be all of me Mm. and that was the experience that reach gave me and ultimately led me on to to you know do whatever i've done in my life because i always tackle thing from everything from a position of complete realness and and it's okay to be open and okay to be very sort of honest about exactly who you are and where you're at because it's the only real way to connect with anyone or do anything meaningful, you know, and it's sort of all started there at Reach on that day.
1: So how would you answer that question now? You just said you're all of those parts and it's actually something I talk about a lot. We're all made up of multiple parts and often those parts, um, some lie dormant, others are louder, some of them we're proud of, other parts we're more shameful of, some are in conflict with each other, others Mm -hmm. are in unison. What do those parts look like now for you? Look, it's
2: continually... Well, continues to be a, not the easiest question in the world to answer. But my position is that um, I'm a man, or I like to think I am a man of great character, great integrity, and substance. So, of all the other stuff around the outside, I'm far from perfect, make mistakes a million times a day, some big, some small. Emotionally, have ups and downs like everyone else. I, you know, I just I am just a stock standard normal bloke. But if I can continually act with substance and character and integrity in everything I do, then I'm pretty comfortable being me. Um, And so Mm. that's sort of the underlying of everything that I like to sort of focus on and and everything I like to think I'm about.
1: Which is more about values. And most people, when you ask, who are you, they want to share their roles. I'm a mother, I'm a psychologist, I'm a speaker, I'm a facilitator, I'm a sister, I'm a daughter, blah, blah, blah. But you're letting your values lead the way.
2: uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Being defined by the job I do is not where I want to be. And, you know, I've seen very consistently in, in building businesses and playing football and, You know, you get defined by that. And that was, you know, my short football career taught me some amazing things. And, you know, I was a first-round draft pick wanting to be the next Wayne Carey and four years later ended up with a busted-up leg and multiple operations and, you know, looking for a job. And what it taught me was that it was very okay to fail, you know, and fail on a very public stage. But up until that point in my life, I'd been known as – Fergus, what's the first-round draft pick? Fergus, what's the future footballer? Fergus, what's, you know, it was all connected to footy. You're not a footballer anymore, and all of a sudden no one cares because you're not a footballer. Who are you? It took years to process all that and work through all that and, and, you know, and everything else. Mm. But it was an amazing early lesson in that I will never let myself be defined by the business I own, the job I have, the past career I once had, any of those sort of things because they're fleeting, you know, and um, it's the character, it's the integrity, it's the substance of who you are that that's the stuff that is continually underlying for for me, happiness and contentment and, you know, whatever else comes my
0: way. When you when you went into the AFL, so first Adelaide Crows and then St Kilda, what was driving you at that time to go into a professional sports career?
2: Uh, I don't know. That's what you wanted to do when you were 16, you know. Like, I don't know really what was driving me outside. I like playing football, you know. Um, I certainly like training for football. Games I liked sometimes um, but could never admit it at the at the time. But
1: What, couldn't you admit there that you should have loved the game but the training was more appealing? Is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah. You know, I used to wake up on a Saturday morning to play and go, oh, I've got to play today, you know. Like, that used to happen all the time. And it was always something I sort of battled with. Like, I kind of never really processed it at the time necessarily because I didn't really know any different. It was the way it was. But then I looked around and I was, people were bouncing out of the bed ready to play footy, you know. Like, it's all about the game and the combat- combativeness. And I much prefer the strategy of the game. I much prefer the, you know, uh, the the ability to train for something, the team dynamic of all of that, the... The full back first, full forward sort of battle the whole time and all that sort of stuff. At times, you know, I enjoyed, especially when the sun was out and the ground was hard and everything was going all right, but in the middle of July when it's raining and cold and, you know, there's two bikes playing on you, <laughs> it was much less enjoyable. You know, footy was, a, was an interesting dynamic for me, but it was always something I wanted to do. And at the end of my 17th year or halfway through my 17th year, when I was 17 years old, they call them bottom age when you come through the draft, Mm. top age and bottom age. And um, I was basically told that I was too slow to get drafted. And, you know, I could read the play well, I could catch it, I could kick it, those sort of things. But I I really wasn't good enough because my agility was no good and my speed was no good. So I played the last game of the year against Gippsland. I was playing for the Sandringham Dragons, played against Gippsland and the next day started sprint training with a bunch of, you know, stall gift guys, and that's what pulling sleds at Dendy Park and that sort of stuff, and and trained pretty much every day until the season when I was, you know, All-Australian and Vic Metro and went pick 14 to the crows. So it was just a, you know, a true determination to get where I wanted to get really, and being a professional football was great fun. The the lifestyle was was very good. The injuries and all the other bits and pieces weren't necessarily great, but, um,
1: yeah, it was, it was where I wanted to be. I think you've answered part of the question there in that what was driving you was it sounds like the camaraderie and the belonging was an important part of it for you in the training process.
2: Yeah, it was. I, you know, like I think that's one of the great things about football. I also, I also love high performance. Mm. You know, like I, I can't do anything by halves. So, the the connection to high performance mm-hmm. to being the absolute best, best. You can be, uh, I'm not overly driven by the being the, the best, but the best I can be or giving it my all at every opportunity. Um, that fitted pretty well with my personality.
1: So then the AFL dream ends due to injuries and you've said it was the greatest, one of the greatest learning experiences of your life. What tools, what strategies did you add to your kid at that time that helped you cope with that transition?
2: Uh, the outside of the obvious stuff around you know discipline and hard work and and all those sort of things um it gave me a bit of a clean slate and I think I was lucky in many ways because I was I had so many injuries in the last two years like I had 12 or 13 operations in 18 months and you know I was just over it like I I broke my jaw in my very last game of professional football and like broke the jaw in two places on the side I had Screws and plates and everything else put in there as everyone else was going off in the Mad Monday stuff and and then the next week you know I had another operation on my on my ankle and then you know walked in to get the sack uh, from the coach on crutches with a massively swollen face and you know he it was like well are there any questions no are we done yes see ya you know um and so I was just very over it and ready to go go somewhere next but um so then i you know i got a job at an advertising agency and then sort of things went from there but this point around failure around it being okay to fail you know i learned that very early and quite publicly Mm. and that was an incredible lesson for me for the rest of my life
0: Mm. and so at 22 so this is how old are you when you're finishing up with afl you're about 22 22 okay and so then you founded bastion Uh, at that age, um, which is now Australasia's largest independent marketing and communications agency, Mm -hmm. um, employing 300 – I'll just, like, sing the high notes for Uh. you – employing 300 staff around the globe. I mean, how did you do that? You were going in without experience. Um, Talk to us about the early days of starting Bastion.
2: Um, Yeah, I had no experience. I didn't know anything about anything. So – There was absolutely no, like, long-term strategy or any of that sort of stuff. The reality was I worked in an advertising agency for six months and because they wore T-shirts and music was playing and it seemed more fun than other stuff. And then sort of did that and then kind of got to a point where I was like, I don't really want to work for anyone else, but I don't know what to do, you know. Um, And so I came to the conclusion that I could find people who knew how to do something because I knew how to do nothing. So if I didn't know how to do anything, then if I was going to start a business, I needed to know people who had a skill, right? And that skill was the only thing I had experience in was the marketing world. And uh, so, you know, I went and partnered with someone who had digital marketing skills, right? And so I could then go and sell digital marketing services and they could go and deliver it. And I would sell that by going and sitting down with business owners or business leaders and asking them what their problems were. You know, I would I would facilitate them in many ways. It's just the stuff I learned to reach as a as a reach facilitator, and I'd I'd be able to ask some questions and get to the core issue of what was really bothering them. And I'd say, okay, well, if we can solve that for you, would that be of interest to you? And they say yes. I say, okay, we'll go back, and then I'll go back to my guys who know what they're talking about, and I'll say, you know, here's the problem we need to solve. Can we solve this? And and you know, and if the the guy I had didn't know how to do it. I'd find another guy that didn't know how to do it, you know? And that was kind of the premise of how it all began. Then the idea was that we could find complementary services of those that sort of worked together to provide a better solution um, because you need a particular solution. You have a business problem that requires multiple services to solve. So, I just was never comfortable saying, oh, well, we can do this bit for you but not the other stuff. Um, so then we, you know, sort of tacked on these different services and, you know, now we're a fully integrated marketing services network that has in this country, in Australia, basically every different service you can imagine from a marketing perspective and so in New Zealand and, and growing in America to provide this sort of integrated solution.
1: And, and what's your role there now, Fergus?
2: I am the chairman and still own the own the company with the partners. And, uh, and yeah, so I chair it. I'm a non-exec. I sort of sit over my brother. I've uh, been very lucky that my brother's been my partner. for. He came in about two years in. He started the sponsorship division of, of Bastion. Um, and he just bit by bit has taken over, and he now runs the whole thing. And he is a much better CEO than I ever was. And he, he oversees it and runs it and does a brilliant job. And um, I sort of um, kind of take a more bird's eye view from a chairman perspective and provide different insights from there
1: about six months ago you took on the role of ceo at reach Mm -hmm. what led you to that we know that you've got a a decade's history with them first as a participant then as a crew member and you've been involved on and off throughout the years
2: yeah um i so sat on the board for the last two years um, and about two years ago was when I transitioned out of being the CEO of Bastion to the chairman. Right, So I went to Jack, my brother, and I said, look, these things like my skill set's taking it from small to medium. He's much more, um, he's better at running a larger company, better at running a larger 300 people or it's a different skill set. So I said to him, it's, it's time. Like I've done my race here. It's been 12 years or whatever it was and it's time you took over um so we did a transition and and all that sort of stuff and then i got involved in a couple of other businesses and did some other stuff and then i was sort of looking at what was next you know and uh i didn't really know exactly what that was um looked at a bunch of stuff nothing really grabbed me necessarily um plenty of big sexy opportunities and all that sort of stuff that on the surface is great but it comes back to that it's like where's the substance you know and then the opportunity at reach sort of came up and that was it, it was sort of just felt right. And uh, and yeah, six months in it's it's great and we're doing some great stuff and uh, and I'm loving it.
0: You've come into, I mean, they're lucky to have you in the organisation, it's brilliant um, just, and, and knowing some of the programs in the past, I've sort of engaged with some of the programs and um, it's an incredible organisation. You've come into it at a time when, of course, we know there's a tsunami of mental health crises, unfortunately facing our young people, partly pandemic related and then perhaps where the world's at. How is REACH, and can you talk to us for those who don't know much about REACH work, how does REACH address that and work with young people to support them? So REACH
2: is a preventative mental health organisation primarily, right? So what we do is we run facilitated workshops in schools or in the community um, to sort of tackle two major things, and that is a better understanding of yourself and a better understanding of those around them. It's as simple as that. We do that through facilitated workshops where young people can talk about real stuff what's really going on for them what's really happening and they can start to share and be honest and they do that in a group setting and by doing it in a group setting they then go oh you're feeling how i'm feeling and i didn't know that about that person and oh god i was thinking that as well and they feel more connected to those around them and if we can achieve those two things, at Reach we, we talk about a two-degree shift, right? Like we're here to create just a two-degree shift in, in any young person's mind where they feel a little bit more confident about themselves, they understand themselves a little bit better, and they understand the world around them a little bit more. And, and the best way to think about that is a rocket ship launching off into outer space. If you change the launch degree of a rocket ship by two degrees on the Earth, no one notices. But by the time it gets into outer space, it's a thousand miles on a different path. And that's what we do, you know? So this mental health crisis, I'm a big believer that yes, COVID was bad and uh, and all that sort of stuff. But COVID just showcased the fact that we didn't have overly well-equipped
0: mm-hmm.
2: young people or adults from a mental health and sh- mental strength perspective at the time. Now that comes about because we didn't do the work five or six years ago. Um, and so when these things happen... You know, and we're locked in our houses and all that sort of stuff. We, You know, we go through all the stuff we've all gone through, questioning ourselves, questioning our life direction, you know, and we we make decisions like, well, we're going to go live in the country or, you know, these sort of things that become surface level stuff when really if we'd have had better understanding of who we are, been able to self-evaluate, you know, more naturally, been able to understand our world around us better because we did the work when we were 15 years old, Or would we have been better equipped to handle COVID? I would say probably.
0: So that level of self-examination like one, you know, just fully being in touch with yourself, who you are, what you stand for, your relationship with yourself and the world – um, yeah, which for a 15-year-old though is, you know, for young people, they're still emerging, aren't they? Like they're still developing and maturing and um, there'd be few 15-year-olds who are fully resolved and know who they are because of course they're still well, no shaping. And there'd be every few interested.
1: 50-year-olds as well. Yeah, exactly. there's yeah. no
2: one, you know. It's a constant, we're constantly trying to figure it out and mm. and th- that's why I'm so passionate about this stuff, should just be part of the curriculum. You know, it should just be part of what we do at school, which is we do maths, we do English, we do physical education, we do music, you know, and we do self-awareness.
0: Mm. Well, there is more wellbeing curriculum coming in in the personal, you know, development capabilities side of things. I mean, that's what I was going to ask you. How does reach reach, literally reach more kids? Like at the moment... Um, young people have to come to your programs and you do some school workshops. But in terms of embedding it in curriculum so you can get that scale, is there work that's been done around that?
2: Yeah. So the majority of what we do is in schools. So we go to schools, deliver the workshops in the classroom. Our ability to grow is a direct correlation between our ability to train facilitators. So at its core, what we do is train facilitators, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We recruit them at 15 we train them up. We train them in the ability to hold a room, the ability to present, uh, the ability to ask a question. We teach them about unsaids and hooks and cues and various other facilitation techniques. So then when they walk into a room with 60-year nines, they can sort of connect to them, you know, and they're, they're young people working with young people, so they connect to them quite quickly. We run a range of activities that make them think about you know, things like the mask they're wearing and the layers they put on around themselves and what they're doing to protect themselves on a daily basis versus acting from ego versus spirit, those sort of things. And then we, you know, we get them in a position. Our facilitators then manage, you know, they run all of those sessions, they manage the energy in the room and then they get to a point where they ask the relevant question at the relevant time to get people speaking about what's really going on, right? And so, so that's what we do. So for us to grow... It's get into more schools. Um, Heroes Days is a is a product that we're growing, so we do five hundred young people at a time, not sixty, um, and we do them for multiple school groups. And it's a you know it's a it's a it's a pretty empowering, it's a very significant sort of product. But we're training more facilitators, and we have full time professional facilitators that go and run a couple of workshops every day
0: and it's it's um, just in Victoria or you're working across We work nationally we
2: train out of Victoria so our sort of training development program operates out of Victoria we think is the best way to run the, the best training product um, because the quality of the facilitation is the quality of the work so we train everyone here locally and then we train what I term export the talent out. So we'll go to Sydney, we'll do 15 workshops in Sydney with two facilitators over a week and then they'll fly home, you know. So we we deliver nationally, we deliver in every state in the country um, mm. in I the last month.
1: One of the points of difference there that's really powerful is that it's young people working with young people and we know that lived experience is, is informs learning in a different way than when you have a so-called expert Stand at the the front of a room, but you don't connect in that in that way. So I think that's uh, that's one of the things that I've noticed and observed with Rach over the years is that it's young people talking to young people, and young people who have a whole wealth of experiences themselves that they're vulnerable in sharing. Which is that's that's how bridges are built, isn't it? Exactly
2: right. That's right. And and the young people working with young people is really important because they connect quickly. If I was to walk into a school workshop with the year nines and dressed how I dress, listen to the music I listen to, it's like it'd take me an hour and a half just to kind of get them to lighten up, you know, or connect with them. These guys connect with them in five minutes. And that's a really important component. And nothing REACH does is uh, presenting ideas or like we don't present a message. There's no message we're trying to get across here. We just create a safe space for people to talk. You know, and and ask them the right questions in in an environment where they feel exceptionally comfortable and very well supported and and, and everything else. That's what it's all about. So, young people being able to work with other young people and we recruit from an incredibly diverse background, Mm. right, because we have to, because we have to connect with every young person, you know, out there. And we have you know people from all different backgrounds all different walks of life that can ultimately walk into any school we've co-facilitate so we can't you know we like to think between the two facilitators we can connect with most of the room um and that goes a long way to delivering good work
0: with the the model you're using um then if you do connect with a young person who's at risk or, or you know comes into that safe space and then there is that moment where they you know, they, they can then re- talk about what's going on for them. Um, how do you, do you also work with families? Because then, of course, these young people go back into a family environment of, of some sort. Um, there's a piece there, isn't there, around educating families as well, around understanding the lived experience of a young person in the world right now.
2: There is. So we've got a program called Turning Tides where parents and young people work together. We have a program called Thousand Faces where adults and young people work together. And then we have a program called Finding Heroes which is about Training the teachers, basically, right, and again, all things that we need to be doing more of, and sort of diversifying and our distribution and how we get that out there is a big part of it. But it's it, we call it the reach ripple, right? It's it's multiple ways to get more opportunity for more young people to be able to feel comfortable in sharing who they are, talking about what's going on for them at a time like you mentioned before, where with their brains developing and they're trying to figure out their place in the world and they're, you know, asking a girl out for the first time and they're failing exams or they're passing exams or, they're, you know, it's like they're not getting picked for the footy team and the netball team. It's like all of this stuff that's going on at a time when they're trying to figure out who they are and then we don't really give them an opportunity to talk about what's really yeah. happening for them. And it's just such an obvious
1: missing piece of the puzzle that for whatever reason – as a society we just don't focus on. I I think it's an obvious missing piece of the puzzle across the lifespan. Your work is beautifully focused on youth, Mm -hmm. but you don't turn 21 or 25 or 30 or 35 or 40 or 100 and have arrived with answers to these questions and settled with your vulnerabilities.
2: So we have a program called Wake, which works in corporate Australia, right? So we work with, I don't know, a bunch of big brands doing their human connection work, team building, stuff like that. Now, we rate, you know, in all the evaluations and everything else, at the highest of high ends when it comes to corporate engagement, team building, productivity increase, low, you know, reduction in turnover, all the things from that perspective and the work is pretty much the same, Mm -hmm. you know. And because we're not going in there as corporate people and culture consultants – um, you know with all these matrixes and all the other stuff that happens in, in, in that world we go in and say well, let's just be real let's connect with each other mm. on a real on a real basis you know let's shed a few tears let's have some laughs let's connect with each other this way and what happens then well we build stronger teams and we build greater connection and fast track um, team connection and team unity and those sort of things mm. And we, we, you know the, the outcome is great because unless you're going to go see a psychologist one on one you just don't get this opportunity, you know, you don't get it. And, and, you know, we used to get it in team sport, but. Once you turn 30 and you have kids, you don't play team sport yeah. anymore. You know, it's like these things start to go away.
0: Yeah, and, and obviously the pandemic, you know, it's been complex time the last couple of years yeah. around teams feeling connected because we've all been so dislocated and shut in our homes, in our lives. Um, and I suppose, yeah, it comes back to that basic thing of, of being heard, talking about real stuff, showing up as a human at work, not just a worker with some sort of carapace or coat on around who you really are. Totally. Which is so, so powerful and so important and yet we forget that so much in workplaces that we're humans first. We
2: used to do this activity um, in the early days of starting Bastion and uh, we did it because we moved into an office 10 years ago at least near Richmond Station. So we did, we had our staff, how many staff, we had 30 maybe at the time and we got them all to get on different trains in the morning. So meet at different stations, all coming into Richmond Station in groups of five or six. And get on. And the rule was you had to get on your own carriage by yourself, and you had to not talk, and you just had to look at everyone, look at everyone's faces, look at their demeanour, look at their mannerisms. And then everyone, you know, comes to Richmond Station. They get off the train. We, we all have a session in the office, and we say, "Well, what'd you say?" Oh my God! Just like how just depressing it was. You know how just like <laughs> you look at people and the way they they are acting and. Portraying themselves on the train at seven thirty in the morning to go to the place that they're going to spend the vast majority of their lives, lives at, and they look like they couldn't, they wouldn't want to go. It would be the worst thing in the world to go where they're going, you know. And uh, and we used it as a cultural thing, saying, "Well, let's never let this company be like that," you know. Be, let's be open. Let's be honest. Let's. Um, our number one value was make each other's lives better. That was the whole thing. And unfortunately, it's just the reality for a lot of people, you know, going to work. And, uh, and if you can peel all that stuff back and have the depth of the human connection... Everything gets better.
1: Uh, Here, here. You are also Fergus, a parent yourself. How old are your kids?
2: I have three kids. I've got a three and a half year old, a two year old, and a four month old baby. Oh Oh, wow,
1: goodness! (laughs) All right. So you're talking about the business of prevention. I mean, you're probably not getting any sleep at the moment, let alone trying Mm. to prevent um, mental health crises in the world. What, What will you do differently now? with your children that you may not have done if you hadn't had these insights and experiences across your life?
2: Oh, my wife and I were talking about that just the other day because it's outside of the fact of just continually getting scared that I'm going to stuff them up
1: or screw them up in Can, I, can I confirm that you will in some ways do that? <laughs> Everybody, I've stuffed up four. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've stuffed up two, so that's six. <laughs> it is a given. Uh, we're saying it facetiously, but we do, as parents, do things that don't serve our children well, mm. full stop. And, oh, maybe comma or semicolon. And. and we also do things that serve them well.
2: Yeah. So I i'm a believer as a young parent it sort of ties into the reach stuff is is you need to make them feel heard so i have sort of this ethos i suppose or, or, or belief that is my job or well, my, my, mine and my wife's job, to create the opportunity for opportunity right is the thing that i keep banging on about so that is I need to make sure that if one of my kids wants to be a ballet dancer, the other one wants to be an accountant, the other one wants to be a stockbroker, and another one wants to be a farmer, they have equal opportunity both from a position of being heard, being able to express that, being able to experience it, and being able to go and do whatever they want to do, right? But it's the opportunity for opportunity because no was not do it for you. You just have equal opportunity to be whatever you want to be and do whatever you want to do and, and all that sort of stuff. So uh, that is my job as m- mine and my wife's job as the parents is to ensure that we create that opportunity for opportunity for kids. Um, now we do that through a number of a number of ways, but um, from an emotional sort of self development sort of content perspective, our focus is making sure they feel heard, they feel non-judgment, they feel connected and they feel safe. And they have a roof over their head and they're fed good food. And And safe to be who they
0: are as they emerge into the young people they're going to be.
2: If we can do those things from an emotional contentment perspective, they feel loved, they feel connected, they feel heard, they feel not judged, they're healthy and they're warm. If we can do those things and then the functional stuff around that from our our net our family network our you know all the different moving parts of building a family connect those two together my feeling is you got half a chance of producing healthy happy kids um so that's what we're it's kind of what we're focusing on (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> we'll Just circle that. back with you in 15 <laughs> years to see how that, how that's gone Tell us um, for, for our listeners and you've given some idea here but is there anything else you can share with us about how people can support and be involved uh, we've got a, a mix of, of listeners some who have you know a business mindset others are parents others are young people themselves how can people get involved so the website
2: is reach.org.au you can go to that. And there's a handful of ways. You can donate money. That always helps. That's great. You can come to different events. So we have a ball coming up. We have our breakfast every year. We have those sort of things. We have various different campaigns um, that are fundraising campaigns and stuff like that. So you can get involved from that perspective. What we're really big on is sustainable business model. A uh, sustainable business models. so um you know if you're a business owner or you you run a team you can control a budget um hire our wake team to deliver work um if every corporate in this country hired reach to run connection work for leading into christmas um or evaluation on the things we've achieved this year or an ability to create um teams that are emotionally connected to each other leading into the Christmas break. If everyone did that, Reach would be in a very, very strong position because we'd be facilitating consistent, sustainable work from that perspective. So um, hire us to do that work.
1: Which then allows you to train your young facilitators to do their work. Correct,
2: yeah. That's the funding model? Yes, it is, but we also have great corporate partnerships. So, again, if you're a corporate out there looking to connect with young people, if you're a brand looking to sell stuff to young people, sell stuff to um, parents, sell stuff to teachers, get in touch with us because we can can promote, you can sponsor us and we can promote your organisation through a sort of cross-branded integration sort of from a marketing perspective as well. Um, So our funding model is... We're self-sustainable from a service perspective. Wake, corporate work is higher margin than school work, right? So we kind of top up the coffers a little bit from that perspective. And community work is very low margin, if not loss-making. So that's the work we give away to low socioeconomic communities and stuff like that. So- But that is all ultimately self-sustaining and then our corporate partnerships and our fundraising and sort of philanthropic donations, that allows us to invest in the future. So that allows us to put on more facilitators on full-time contract ahead of schedule. You know, It allows us to invest in broadening out our Heroes Day product. It allows us to invest in various other things that can fast-track the future development of the organisation rather than what most charities have, unfortunately, which is... I need to raise the money now to keep the lights on now. Mm. Private enterprise doesn't have that. Private enterprise has capital injections. It has, you know, capital raising. It invests in the future. It does all these sort of things that the not-for-profit world doesn't often have.
0: Yeah, well, and also just compound the impact, the incredible impact that you've been having, Um, across Australia. So, we yes, we look forward to you continuing to um, increase the reach um, of reach and uh, and we'll put some links in the show notes to some of those programs. We always like to end our chats with people asking one final question and that is who do you think is doing human well? Oh,
2: that is a good question. Who's doing human well? I like Barack Obama. Uh, He seems real to me. He seems connected, he seems real, he seems a good combination of family man, leader. I I think it's hard as a leader to stay the course. You know, leadership is lonely, leadership is exposing, Um, you are very much on your own as a leader and he always strikes me as someone who is doing that well whilst having a what seems to be a beautiful, loving relationship with his wife and his kids and the combination of that seems to work as a sort of happy household. So he's probably my
1: answer. And we don't usually ask a follow-up answer, but I have got one. That's usually our final question. Uh, But you're a leader. How are you doing on being alone at the top?
2: It's a good question. Um, I have good days and bad days with it. Um, It's... With the kids, how young the kids are, and how hectic our life is, you don't get a huge amount of time to be feel alone. From that perspective, you know, I struggle with it because you don't get positive feedback all that often, right? You generally get, if if it's big, look how great, it's a big like purposeful thing, then people will tell you, you know, that's good and nice job. Most of the time what you get is, this is going wrong, that's going wrong, this is no good, that's no good, this person said that, that's most of the time. So, I struggle with all that stuff, I really do, because you put your heart and soul into doing something significant, and that's the stuff you hear most of the time. But I've also been doing, I've been a CEO since I was 22, so... That's 14 years. I'm 36 now. I'm 37 next week. It's like I kind of don't know any different as well. So I've had a lot of practice at a, long, at a young age, which um, I think has been beneficial for me.
0: Mm. Well, keep, keep doing your, your good work. The world needs you too. Yeah. Thank um, you. Great to chat today.
1: Thanks very much. Yeah. thanks, Fergus. Thank Cheers. you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Human Cogs. We hope that this conversation has led you to think a little bit differently about yourself and those around you.
0: And thank you for all the amazing feedback that we get about these conversations. If you do like Human Cogs and what we're doing, we would love you to hit subscribe and please leave us a star rating. What that means is we can keep bringing you more stories from Extraordinary Ordinaries to help us all do Do human well. well.